Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Marcus Garrett. He is an author of a book called Debt Free or Die Trying. Uh, he's gotten out of debt and wants to help other people do the same thing. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Marcus. Hello, thank you for having me. We'll get you into the details uh, in, in more, but just briefly give us a little bit of your biography, your history before you got to writing this book. We'll, we'll tell them all about how you get out of debt, but you know, beyond that. Sure. My background, uh, Texas born and raised, uh, age 22, I got in about $30,000 in debt and started living what would ultimately become the book for or the life for debt free or die trying. And then as I started sharing my story through blog writing and online, kind of the start of social media and Twitter and all that, I realized that I might have something here that would resonate with the audience and ultimately became debt free or die trying the book. So let's just kind of start with a broader view. <clears throat> How big a problem is debt in this country uh, and you know people who got into situations like you how common is that these days I say it's big and getting bigger um, you know you see the stats go back and forth but I think most recently and fairly common it's about 60 to 70 percent of people are living paycheck to paycheck uh, you got your average student loans at 30 to 35 thousand dollars so you've got 22 year olds burdened with 30 35 thousand dollars average household has about six to seven thousand dollars in credit cards and then if they're in that household the median household this year is four hundred thousand so there's a lot of different ways to get into debt and a lot of different people facing it so how are the credit card companies making it easy to get into debt? I thought that after the financial crisis, they tightened up credit and they made it harder for people to, to get credit. How is it that people are getting back into debt again? Because they seem to have revised themselves and, and retrained themselves not to get into so much debt after the financial crisis. Well, I, I think, you know, on both sides, it's it's easy to get debt. I guess my only experience would be America, but I'd say in America, it's pretty easy to get access to a credit card, especially your first one, and you can make your own individual mistakes from there. For me, and I think a lot of people, I consider myself an elder millennial. I'm 40 years old this year, and I signed up for one at 18 on a college campus. I think I got a t-shirt for it, and I know half a dozen people just in my immediate circle that have that same story as I share these stories on my podcast and in my book I hear thousands if not tens of thousands of people that can relate to that story. So uh, they're marketing it to college students who don't have much of an income and yet they're getting into debt and they'll give them a credit card but I thought today uh, parents have to co-sign for those cards if you're under 21 is that correct? That would actually be a new rule for me. I know they can't market directly on college campuses anymore. Um, at least they're not supposed to. Obviously, I haven't been on a college campus in a while, but that actual setting up a table and marketing directly to 18-year-olds, I know is supposed to be illegal. Uh, if, pre if, if parents have to sign for that car, that, that would be a new rule for me, but I do think that would be a step in the right direction. Yes, okay. All right, so you begin in your introduction um, with your situation. Uh, which is that you were unmarried. How does marriage affect uh, the, the kind of debt that people take on? Well, I've gotten married recently. And I mean, the way that it's been afraid for me is you come to it with two different playbooks and now you're trying to write a joint playbook. Um, so I read there was analysis that came out recently that married couples actually have 
three times the wealth. And I'm going to have to forecast a little bit. I assume that's because 60% of net worth in America is usually tied to a home. So it's kind of the chicken or egg. Are people increasing their net worth? Are married people buying homes and therefore increasing their net worth? And so that opportunity to combine incomes can be a positive, obviously growing your net worth. But if you've got two of those averages that I was talking about earlier, that might be $60,000 in student loans if both of those have maxed out their student loan capacity and kind of represent the average American. And then you talk about children. Um, what impact does having children have on accumulating debt? From zero to 18, I think the cost of this is the USDA. Uh, um, their estimate for this year was around 200 to 300,000 to raise a child from zero to 18. Some people are nodding their heads. Some people are probably shocked by that information. Um, so it can get very expensive very quickly. I think not surprising, especially to the parents in the audience. A lot of that's going to be child care um, that has to take place. We have an expensive child care system in this country, regardless of how you look at it. And then beyond not only child care, but all the things that they need for 18 years really does that up. Right. If you're looking at the averages now, um, and I've seen some some crazy forecasts, and for, for folks wondering why and how I'm quoting all these numbers, I'm an auditor by trade, so I've been looking at these numbers for 20 years and might be looking at them for the next 40 years. And they're fascinating to me. Um, but if schools is 30,000 in student loans, then that assumes that they paid something out of pocket. You can imagine where that would be, even if interest rates return to 2%, they're averaging seven to 8% right now, what that would look like in 30 years. I mean, that, that number is going to double and it's not going to take 30 years to get there. Yeah. Uh, you also talk about transportation being a major source of debt. How, how is that? In my case, uh, I took on a used car um, and I financed that, which you, know, you could argue was responsible. But as you said earlier, I, I was 22 years old, uh, walked onto a lot, $9,000 in debt and was able to walk off with, with a used car, uh, which, again, I think proves that it's clearly not that difficult to get debt because in, in that case, four scenarios I had three credit cards and a used car loan. I was able to easily get debt and just sign my signature and, and walk off the lot with a, a, a used car. Um, perhaps that's changed a little bit over the years, uh, but I doubt it because I still drive by used car lots to, to this day and see ads. So I imagine you can still take on a lot of debt quickly without the income to justify it. So is that a big problem? Is I, I think car loan debt is over a trillion dollars now. And the, the people who are taking it on tend to be lower income at paying higher interest rates. Is that correct? Yeah, there was a study revealed by CBS News. I'm, I'm blanking on the source of the study, but they estimated that the difference between a, what they called a, a bad to fair credit score is around under 680, I'll put it that way. Uh, and the difference between a good credit score, which they use a score of 740, um, you can get a credit score up to uh, 850 for those um, who aren't sure, so you can get some range there. They said that'd be $60,000 in difference, um, just in how much more interest you would pay. And I think they looked at student loans, credit cards, and car loans. So unfortunately, not only is credit typically expensive, period, the worse you manage it, the more expensive it gets for you. And the, the next, well, the biggest loan is mortgages for people. So what mistakes are people making uh, when they're taking on a mortgage today, particularly at the higher interest rates they have to pay? 
I think it's uh, about half, and I believe this was a study of millennials, but um, homeowners regretted their mortgage, uh, their first home buying experience less than one year into it. To answer your question, I think that's because a lot of people go in it with an emotional mindset, like it's this thing I want uh, that is, and we've kind of learned or accepted that it's an investment. And it's only an investment if you go about it wisely. Otherwise, it's a it's a huge expense. Um, so I think it's, I'll quote a book, uh, The Millionaire Next Door is a book that I love and still quote. He says that if you want to build wealth, you should never buy a home that's more than twice your gross income. And that's a recommendation for building wealth. And, you know, ha- average gross income, 70000 that's a $140,000 home. As I'm sure you know, there's not a lot of $140,000 homes out there. Um, so it's taking the logic and emotion and making a responsible financial decision. Because, yeah, home prices have gone up dramatically. Uh, incomes, not as much. So you think people are stretching themselves too far in buying homes they really shouldn't be buying today? Definitely. Combination of, like I said, making that emotional decision, uh, the availability of cheap debt, at least in the last 10 years, it's gotten a little bit more expensive recently with the increases inflation. But I don't think a lot of people were asking, can I afford this? They were allowed to buy it. And then later they realized they can't afford it. And so what is the long-term impact of having too much of your money going to a mortgage? Well, not only the mortgage, but the insurance, the property taxes, and the upkeep, all the things that are involved in in owning a home. What what is the long-term impact on your finances of that? I appreciate you for saying that because even in that analysis, he was saying all in cost. And a lot of people just look at the mortgage. They don't look at the homeowner's insurance. They don't look at the uh, homeowner's um, HOA and things like that. And the long-term is, we're, it's the lived reality that we have right now where a lot of people, even in cheap mortgages, percentage-wise, are trapped in it because they can't finance out of it. And they're scared to sell their home because now you've got a 2% mortgage, 2 3 4% in the last 5, 10 years. And now if you sell it, you're looking to take on a 7 or 8 or 9% mortgage. Uh, so I would say people are trapped. Yes, no, that's true. A lot of sellers don't want to sell because they, they couldn't possibly replace uh, the deal they've got with their, their mortgage today. Uh, let's talk about student loans a little bit. Uh, how big a problem is student loans these days? I think it depends on the perspective. Uh, I think only one in three Americans go to college. Um, I think less than that graduate. And so for that one in three, I'd say it's very significant. The cost of college has, uh, I think it's quadrupled in the last 20 to 30 years. And to your point, um, wages, 40%, I'd say at best. Um, over that same time period. So it's gotten more expensive to go. And then we're in the middle of the argument. Is it worth it to get a college education um, these days for the outcomes on the other side for stagnant wages? And you're saying in many cases it's not. It depends on the degree. I don't think it's worth it to get a degree for degree's sake anymore in today's reality. Um, Again, I think you have to go into it and say, how am I going to apply this degree to either pay off that degree or have a life that I can sustain and allow me to have the home and have the car uh, and have those assets that are important to me. But you're saying a lot of people don't do that. They go in for the love of learning, but not really how it's going to pay off is what you're saying. That's correct. That's exactly what I did. I I went to school because that's what you're supposed to do. Uh, And I've been fortunate that I was able to find a pathway on the other side and find a lucrative career on the other side. But that's not why I went to school. That's not even why I was in school. I I got lucky and focused on the other side. Very good. 
We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Marcus Garrett. Uh, he's written a book called Debt Free or Die Trying. Uh, you can find out more at his website, themarcusgarrett.com. We'll be back after this. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's going to be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is going to be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Marcus Garrett. Uh, he has uh, written a book called Debt Free or Die Trying. You can find out more at his website, themarcusgarrett.com. Welcome back to the show, Marcus. Thanks for having me. Tell people a little bit of what they can find at your website, at themarcusgarrett.com. So on the website, it breaks down everything that I'm talking about here today. I start people off with a free guide on how to uh, build a budget from scratch. And uh, that's how much you can afford on a $30,000, $50,000, or $100,000 salary. That's right there at the top of the website at themarcusgarrett.com. And then it goes over the book. I also do one-on-one -on -one coaching, one-to-many coaching. And I've really been focusing on building my community in the later years. So what goes on in your community? Are people sharing stories of getting out of debt? Uh, I have about 300 people enrolled in the debt-free course. That's a self-paced course um, where people can walk through my four-step plan that I cover in the book. We can go into that in detail if you'd like. We can uh, talk about that a little bit later. And then I also do uh, just kind of one-to-many coaching. I just set up something recently. Uh, so on YouTube, I have a channel, uh, Life After Debt with the Marcus Garrett. And then I also expanded into how-to with the Marcus Garrett. Number one, I realized people had questions beyond personal finance. I've, I've been doing this for 10 years. 15 or 20 years, depending on when you started the journey. So I, I wanted to expand and answer those questions as well. So your first chapter is how you buried yourself at 30,000 in debt. So just give us the brief idea of how that happened in the first place. 
I can hit that very quickly because it was one weekend. I graduated college with, like I said, about $9,000 in debt across three credit cards. I got a really great consolidation loan with apparently some really great marketing. I signed up for it, went on with my life, never made more than $9 an hour. I got my first job making $19,600. I remember because it was very lower than my expectations from when I graduated college. They sent a 22-year-old making $19,000 a blank check. And I spent all of it. <laughs> so in about 72 hours, I went from $9,000 in debt. I think I paid off one card. I bought that car I was talking about, walked onto the lot, bought a car with rims because I have explicit taste apparently. And by the end of that weekend, I was $26,000 in debt. So like I said, it is very easy to get debt in America. And how did you get from twenty six to 30000 that's the part of the story that people have the most trouble believing. I bought a flat screen TV when it first came out. And I promise you, even though I've argued with a lot of people about this, it was $3,000. I bought a $3,000 42-inch flat screen TV. Um, and I signed up for a, a loan for that. That pushed me uh, over the $30,000 mark with interest. So in, in retrospect, you think it was a mistake to buy that car? That car was great. A Toyota Camry, I'll plug them to that gate. It lasted 12 more years, and it had 80000 on it when I bought it. So I'm, I'm a loyal fan of Toyota Camry up to and including this day. Um, but that being said, I think what you're asking thematically, I, I get a lot, and I, I struggle with. But for that experience, which I would not recommend and probably would not wish on my worst enemy, I am not here to share this story. I do not write the book. I do not have this lived experience. One of the greater weekends of my life, I might also add. Um, and so it's it's difficult. I, it's not a path that I would recommend for people, but I, I, I learned a lot from it. And it's something I could share, especially when I talk on college campuses, about what you can overcome, even if you don't realize it at the time. Well, talk a little bit about that. When, when you're talking to college students, tell them about, you know, the dangers of spending and, and you know, your own path and, and how you got out of college and got into trouble so quickly. I think, and I'm going to guess here, because I, I say pretty confidently that not only younger individuals, but college students are smarter than I ever was. And I like to hope that that's because they have access to so much information. But then that exposure is some of the dangers that you're speaking to. So there's that. But I just remember at 22, I had two different views. Number one, I thought I was going to graduate college. I thought you went to college to get rich. So I was very shocked and appalled when I only could get 19,000. It took me like six months to get that job uh, and that someone deemed that that was my value. But, you know, that's actually probably roughly what I was worth. I was a college student with no real world experience, not even an internship experience. So that would be one thing that I would share with college students. And one thing I did do well is I made college very cheap. I took a lot of AP classes. I was able to get out of college in three and a half years, even after transferring and making a bunch of um, just not smart college oriented decisions. Secondly, and it's, you know, the youthful mind is a, <laughs> an interesting place to navigate. I also, but I hear this a lot. It's that, you know, five years seems like forever. Um, so I talk to 22 year olds and they're very depressed about where things will be in five years. And they just, they just think things will be over. They, 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 it's a very um, dark reality that is lived. And that's why I also try to share what you'll see on that other side of that mountaintop. Uh, I try to share that hope and that motivation of what you can achieve. You talk about some specific things you did during college to get into trouble, like your spring break at South Padre Island. What happened there? 
someone asked me about South Padre Island yesterday, uh, my barber. So I guess they're still going. Um, so back then you would go to spring break and I'm sure no matter where you are in the country, you can imagine somewhere that you or your children go to do reckless activities that involve spending a lot of money. Ours was South Padre Islands on the tip of Texas. And I'd go down there and if you're tracking at home, I had a credit card um, with a pretty impressive limit for the limit of amount of money that I had. And so I would not only buy the hotel rooms, I'd buy the block of hotel rooms and I'd buy my drinks and anyone's drinks who wanted drinks. Um, and I was just taxing up and running up this credit card limit because it felt like free money for two reasons. It felt like free money because I was always able to make the minimum payment. And it felt like free money because I was like, well, when I get out of college, I'm going to make so much money that it, this doesn't matter. This is, you know, this is just temporary. This is just, you know, this is just spring break. Uh, and it didn't really quite work out that way. Okay. So then after that, you say you hit rock bottom. So what is it like to feel rock bottom? So you flash forward in this case, five years, as I said, which in my 22 year old mind was forever in the future. And I was working three jobs now because I'm in reality now. So I'm two jobs in. I have a full-time nine-to-five making 50000 I'm putting computers together at Dell. I'm doing contract work. I'm working nights at a hotel. And I was selling what was then a revolutionary uh, new smartphone called the iPhone. So actually selling iPhones really helped me pay off my debt because you could give those things away and I was getting com commission. But you know, there's only literally so many hours a day and I was trading time for money and I was well, in some ways killing myself. And even then I was struggling to make minimum payments by that point. And I missed one credit card payment. It was a credit card that I had gotten at age 18 on the college campus for that t-shirt. Didn't have the t-shirt, but I still had the debt. And that's when that, I call it a tsunami of debt had been going out and it came back and punched me in my face. It had been there the whole time because I wasn't going to be able to make that 29.99% uh, payment that next month. Okay. And so how did it hit you in the face just because you missed the payment? I realized that I wasn't going to be able to pay off not only that debt, but all my other debt was going to start spiraling in on me, hitting me like a wave if I didn't figure a way out of it. And I was looking for that same consolidation loan and I had ignored them. I'd gotten hundreds probably by that point that I had gotten after college, but I noticed they were further and fewer in between. And now looking back in hindsight, I realized because my credit score was probably dropping just like that tsunami wave that was going out with all that debt I was collecting. And I had one consolidation loan come in, luckily before the four weeks when that 29.99% interest payment was going to be due. And I called that call center and I realized about two minutes into that call, if they don't say yes, I don't have a plan B, C, D, E, F, all the way up to Z. I was like, this, this is the plan. This is the only hope I have. And I just remember that night, that was a night I was like, I'll, I'll never put myself in this position again. So you did take the debt consolidation loan, though? I did. Yeah, it was my last one. And, and was that a good idea? You felt you had no choice, really? In my particular circumstance, I didn't have a choice. Um, and I mean, who knows what would have happened next? But, you know, you look at the math there. I'm working three jobs already and struggling to make minimum payments. I think bankruptcy would have been a next step. Um, but that being said, I got that loan offer. And that's why I tell people I am not one of those that is wholly against consolidation loans because they saved me twice, even the time I was irresponsible. 
The difference being the reason most people don't like consolidation loans is that I think it's something crazy, like 60 percent of people will get back in debt. But that night I was at rock bottom. I was like, this is truly it for me. And that's why the book is called Debt Free or Die Trying, not debt free until inconvenient, not debt free until the next payment is due. Like I was not going to let this happen again. And I went to bankrate.com. And I pull, I remember I printed my PDF uh, <laughs> as how old I am. I printed out a PDF of what would be my debt-free plan that night. Uh-huh. So then your next chapter is called The Cost of Doing Living. So how, you're at rock bottom. How do you now budget so that you can start living again? I actually think this chapter is more relevant now because as we opened with debt was historic at historic low averages when I was $30,000 in debt. So I was paying, you know, nine, 10% debt, which probably a lot of people would be excited to have a credit card with 9.9% interest. Uh, that being said, it's like, um, I didn't want to continue living the reality of working three jobs. I wanted to get out of debt, but I didn't want to kill myself in the process, despite the title of the book. And so I started looking for work all over the country. Um, to give people a frame of reference, it's 2008. So they later call this the Great Recession when I'm out here looking for work. And I, again, you know, maybe it's when opportunity and you know preparation collide. I got lucky and I was able to find a job that paid more. It was a 40% raise that paid more than all three jobs I had. The only catch was I had to move across the country, Denver to Colorado, and I had to be on six months of probation. But as you said, with that debt consolidation loan, I had painted myself into a position where I didn't really have a choice. I had to say yes to wherever I was going to have to go to for this consolidation loan and for this job. So you think that's something people should do is widen their perspectives and not just look for jobs where they're located at that moment? I've been fortunate. It really comes from my household um, that my my parents actually both instilled that in me. Uh, my father was always moving around for work. Uh, at one point, my parents uh, lived apart so my mom could get her nursing degree uh, down in Galveston. Uh, my father lived in another part of the state so he could get a promotional opportunity. And so I saw that in the home and through osmosis or whatever it may be, nurture or nature. I was like, you know, you do what you have to do to make I want to say ends me that that sounds a little um, uh, pessimistic, but you do what you have to do. Like at the end of the day, I, I still looked at it as this was my responsibility. I spent all this money. I bought this car. I got into this debt and it was up to me to get out of it. Probably a lot of people don't have that attitude. They want to just get rid of it and not, <laughs> right. not take responsibility for what they did. Right. Very good. We're, we're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Marcus Garrett. Uh, he's done a book called Debt Free or Die Trying. You can find out more at his website, themarcusgarrett.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. 
Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Marcus Garrett. He's the author of a book called Debt Free or Die Trying. You can find out more at his website, themarcusgarrett.com. Welcome back to the show, Marcus. Thanks for having me. So now that we've uh, hit bottom, let's dig ourselves way out. So what was your uh, epiphany, I guess you might say, to uh, turn things around and start digging yourself out of this debt that you've gotten into? Well, now I'm on the other side. I've, I've hit rock bottom. I've got my debt-free plan. And in the second edition of the book, which is the one that's available on Amazon, is I actually reorganized that with the help of an editor. And instead of telling it chronologically, we started focusing on the system. So I'm real big on systems now, and I get that from my audit experience. And the debt is actually an acronym, so it's D define the problem. Um, and again, about half of individuals don't even know how much debt they have. It's just such an intimidating exercise. If you're one of those people, you can either collect all your bills or you can go to annualcreditreport.com, get your free financial report and download it. And I say report because it's your report, not your credit score. Some benefits that you can get there, if there's just any errors, that might be an easy way to identify those and you can work it out with the three large bureaus, Trans, uh, TransUnion, Experian, and Equifax. You can dispute those, they all have their proprietary reasons, but you can get that removed, that might raise your credit score. Uh, you might see debt on there that's just literally not yours, or you can just make sure that's accurate, see how much you owe. E is from there to establish a plan. I feel like a lot of people establish a plan. They want to do the snowball because it sounds popular. They read an article. They get excited. It's like a New Year's resolution. They fall off a month later. But that being said, now that you know the problem, you can establish a real plan. As I said earlier, I plug bankrate.com slash calculators with an S, not paid by them. They are just some great tools. Um, Nerd Wallet has some great tools. And I'm agnostic to the tool. The best tool, the best system is the one that works. B, build a budget. You had talked a little bit about this earlier. One that I like, we can go into the details, is 50, 30, 20. I'll just hit the percentages for now. And then the final step is once you put all that together, you can trust the process because the system is there to help you succeed. Yeah. Um, okay. So, <laughs> so digging yourself out is not only a financial thing, but it's a psychological change as well, right? I mean, how do you turn yourself from being depressed and negative to there's hope and I'm going to get out of this thing. 
for there, I'm, I'm going to hit a fork in the road and it depends on the personality type. So a person like me, I actually get excited to see the finish line. I used to run track back in the day. Uh, I still run, just not as fast. <laughs> so I like to know what the end looks like. And that's why I like the system. That's why I like bank rates tools. Um, the other fork in that road is a person's like, oh man, you know, I, I like to coach my students that, you know, getting out of debt is about zero percent as fun as it was getting into debt depending on what the exercise would it, it, aside from i'd say health and you could argue health related debt you could argue college depending on your lived college experience getting into debt can be fun <laughs> it's usually you're doing something that you want you're buying something you want and so getting into debt's a lot more fun than getting out of debt you need to prep your mind for a round it's going to be about twice the journey because now you're not only paying for it you're paying about an average of 15 and up percent to get out of that debt. So that $100 thing that you bought is $115 to pay off. Uh, for that person, I would do what I actually stumbled into uh, is that car loan. And, you know, I'm 27 years old now. I got that car when I was 22. And I, I just wanted to see that bill at zero. I was just emotionally and physically tired of paying for this used car. And I call it the power of zero. Sometimes, you know, find a bill that just annoy you. Maybe there's a bill in collections. Maybe you're getting phone calls. And that's the power of zero. zero. Pay that one off first. And what that does is give you proof of concept. It gives you motivation. It's like, oh, this system works. After I paid off that car, I'm like, wait, I'm on to something here. And the rest just kind of fell into place. And I started to automate the tools. Okay, let's talk about your credit score. You have a whole section on that. What are the major elements that go into credit score as far as the weighting uh, towards uh, affecting a credit score positively or negatively? There's about five factors that weigh into your credit score. Um, number one, I don't have them all memorized, so I'm going to focus on the two large ones, and that's uh, credit utilization and how much of your credit, and this is like 60% of your score, so they're the ones that I call them game changers. They're the ones that are going to move your credit score. So 60% of your score is how much of your available credit are you using. That's your ratio. They call that credit utilization. If that's over you know, so you're at 60% of your score. If that's over 30%, it tends to weigh down your credit score. Uh, so if you're wondering, why is my credit score going down month to month? I can, with some level of confidence, say that you probably have a near maxed out credit card or an already maxed out credit card or, an, or a near maxed out credit line. Uh, that's going to weigh down on your score. So that's why I said if you tackle getting something to zero fast, which is why some people like the debt snowball. Uh, for those hearing debt snowball for the first time, you find your smallest debt, you pay it off first, you snowball the rest of your, uh, after making minimum payments on everything else, you snowball that towards the next debt, you repeat until all debt is paid off. The exact opposite of that is the avalanche. You find your highest interest debt, your highest bill, and you pay that off first. It takes longer, it saves more money, and again, that goes back to that emotional aspect where you have to ask yourself, what type of person are you? If you do not know, my answer is find a zero bill, find a bill that emotionally drains you, get it to zero and pay that off first or do the debt snowball. Because I don't want people to get caught up in paralysis by trying to analyze what they should do. Um, the best step is to take a step. Yeah. So credit utilization is, I guess, 30 percent. Mm -hmm. uh, payment history is 35 percent. Right. Those are the two big ones as far as affecting your credit score. Yeah. In that example, I have to imagine because I wasn't getting any loan offers, uh, me missing that payment. I think they say you, your credit score can drop up to 100 points by one missed payment, which in itself is 
kind of a messed up system. Uh, but that being said, if you miss one credit card payment, it's my understanding that can drop your score up to 100 points. I know for a fact I've watched my score drop 30 or 60 points while actually observing it. Um, and maybe that's something I need to share. If you're not observing your credit score, they're so ubiquitous now. You can get them from so many different ways. I, I, I get my credit score from like six different free entities, uh, FICO being the most common and oldest one. So if you're not getting your credit score, uh, you can get access to your FICO score usually for free, usually from your bank. Uh, so, you know, what you don't know will cost you. So what is your credit score now? Get that information and then you can start making improvement and informed decisions to uh, make it better. And then you say new credit is part of it. Uh, so if you're applying for new credit, if you have too many applications, that in itself will hurt your score, right? Right. My general recommendation, I mean, if you can get it down to one, so let's say you're in a position like I was where you, uh, you're you looking for a consolidation loan, maybe you're car shopping right now. Um, they're a little bit uh, more generous with car shopping and home loan purchases because they know that you, well, they know you should uh, compare with multiple lenders. But that being said, I try to tell people to, one, do your own homework and research. Again, you can do that at Bankrate. You can do that at NerdWallet. Target three credit cards that fit your profile, whatever that looks like, whether it's your savings goal, you want to raise your credit score, maybe you want points for vacations and travel, and apply for those three cards, uh, or one card if you've got it down, the one that would be a best practice. If you get denied for those three cards, I would say wait one, two, three months. I, what I see a lot of people do is, oh, I got denied. I apply, apply, apply. Oh, I got denied. And now your credit score is dropping 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 points each one of those applications. So not only did you not get the first application, you're missing on six others and making your credit score go down. Yeah. And then you talk about your credit mix. So this is credit cards, student loans, car loans, mortgages. That makes an impact on your credit score as well, right? Yeah, a common myth is that people think all credit and debt is created equal. That is not how the um, credit bureaus view your credit. So the worst, <laughs> the worst, there's some people use good and bad debt. I try to stay away from that, is uh, credit cards. So like pretty much universally, they look at credit cards the worst. Uh, they understand uh, home loans and car loans, um, consolidation loans, uh, basically uh, lines of credit. They're still weighed down your credit, but they won't be weighed as heavily as a maxed out or near maxed out credit card, uh, which is why I, I tell some people that that might be what you want to target as you move towards raising your credit score. That being said, if you are in a position, let's say your credit score, I like to give exact numbers. Let's say your credit score is 640 or less. I think your better exercise is to pay down your debt until your credit score starts going up. Uh, you're going to start getting some of those better offers around 660. You're going to start getting some of the good offers around 700. You're going to get the best offers around 740. Yeah. What are some of the red flags uh, on a credit card statement that people should watch out for? I would be looking out for your interest rate. Um, Actually, the one that I'm going to focus in on, because I know a lot of people did this, especially uh, predating the rise in inflation, was a lot of people are probably signed up for 0% interest cards right now, 0% introductory rates, whatever the case may be, balance transfers. Uh, some of those have balloon payments at the end. Uh, so if let's say you bought a piece of furniture, it might have a 0% introductory rate for 12 months, but in the... 13th month, that interest rate not only might be 18%, there might be an expectation that you pay off the remaining balance. So make sure you're aware of the credit, the type of credit you've taken out and the fine line. Another side of that is if it is an introductory period and you're not going to pay off that credit, uh, first of all, some people I found out recently didn't know that they need to be making minimum payments on that debt. So some people are hearing that for the first time. 
Uh, but just it's I guess thematically it's knowing your debt because when that zero percent interest is over, suddenly you're going to be paying the average right now is eighteen percent and up. Making sure you can afford that, and if not, what are you going to do about it? You talk about a late payment warning and minimum payment warning as two of the red flags. What should people look for if they see those? Um, if you look, uh, so you're probably getting an electronic statement, but if you get a PDF or electronic statement, they are uh, credit card companies, and I believe uh, loan companies as well, but I know for a fact with credit card companies, right there in the upper left and or right beside your address box, they have to tell you late payment, your interest rate, how much it'll take to pay off your uh, loan in three years, if it's not longer, and how much it'll take to pay off in 30 years. So those are some areas that you can focus in on, drive towards, and those numbers are going to be really big. I think to pay off $6,000 in debt at the minimum payment takes about 30 years. Amazing. <laughs> and then on student loans, you talk about various red flags, particularly a school loan refund checks. What's wrong with those? Two-part, uh, with the refund checks, a lot of people, <laughs> let me say a lot of young people like myself, uh, back in the day, I should say, they, that's not free money. Uh, so the smart thing to do would be to put, put that immediately back towards your balance. What a lot of people do is go out and buy stuff. Uh, that's not free money. You're going to have to pay that eventually, and you're just running up your total debt tab or total, or for those of you who are being financed by your parents, you're running up your parents' total debt tab. On the other side of it is, um, you know, you can collect that debt if you're, if you're, let's say you don't want to spend it right now. Maybe you've locked it, locked in some of those historically low interest rates, two, three percent. Uh, maybe you do put that in a high yield account. I think Apple just rolled out a four percent uh, high yield account. Um, there's some, you know, high yield accounts available out there. That makes sense to me. I'm a little less interested in investing it <laughs> because tying it up when I'm hoping you're going to graduate in quicker than four years. Uh, but there are opportunities to do better and smarter with that money as long as you're just not immediately spending it with no plan. So as far as student loans, there are limits as to how much you can take out of federal loans. Uh, what if you just can't borrow enough from federal loans? How do you take out private student loans? It's uh, like applying for any other loan. Um, you can actually use those same tools, bank rate, nerd wallet, for de determining your profile again, finding the student loan that works for you. There's actually a lot of great tools out there for finding student loans. I'd actually recommend scholarships, though, because that truly is free money. Um, but you can find a way to get those private loans. One uh, thing I would be careful about, especially there's a lot of refinancing opportunities now, so making sure that you're not refinancing federal loans into private loan money. Uh, because then that's not going to be able to be forgiven wherever that journey takes us or goes. Yes, indeed. Okay, we're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Marcus Garrett. He's put out a book called Debt Free or Debt or Die Trying. You can find out more at his website, themarcusgarrett.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth in Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth in Equity's program. 
There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Marcus Garrett. Uh, He wrote a book called Debt Free or Die Trying. His website, themarcusgarrett.com. He's an expert on helping people get out of debt. Welcome back to the show, Marcus. Thank you for having me. We were talking a little bit more about refinancing your student loans. There's a lot of players in that field now. Uh, what should people watch out for to get the best deal if you're refinancing? Say you've got a lot of federal debt, got some private debt. It's, it seems like you can consolidate them at a lower rate. What should people look for there? I would say right now in this environment, I personally would not recommend and would not uh, refinance my own uh, federal student loans if I had any. I, my um, my debt was paid off. Uh, and that's because we, we still don't know where that's going between the halted payments. And I, I know they're fighting it out in, in Congress. And obviously, I won't get into all the politics of it all right now. So I would not be refinancing federal debt right now until that conversation is settled. Uh, for private loans, you're right. There are a lot of players. Um, so I, I think it would be the same advice I would offer for any opportunity to, you know, quote unquote, get cheaper debt. It's just make sure that you're going with a reputable service. Uh, check the Better Business Bureau. Check the reviews online. Check with your friends. Check with the five star reviews. You know, this is going to be a significant decision. You're moving debt around uh, debt that is in most cases going to be repackaged and sold. So you want to be re- working with a reputative reputative a good reputation lender uh, when you do so. And then other than that, you know, making sure that you have a, tr- a strong credit score, uh, that you know um, your background. If you've got all those tools that I set in place to find the problem, establish a plan, build a budget, you know, you should know by now what you can afford and you can have an informed conversation. I have literally seen interest rates lowered just because I got on the phone and sounded informed and they're like, oh, okay, this is someone I'm not going to be able to take advantage of. So I just get the best opportunity. Mm. One of your chapters is on building a budget. It's it's hard for people to not only build it, but stay with it and, and keep to the budget. How can people do that? I mentioned earlier the 50, 30, 20 budgets, one of my favorites, easily Googleable, um, but it's 50% for needs. I break it down in the book, 30% for wants, 20% for saving in those debt payments. And the reason I like it, uh, number one, as I've said a number of times, I like systems. Um, and that one really breaks it up very cleanly about where your needs need to fall. It also clearly shows you um, if you're outside of those percentage rates, like what needs to go up, what needs to go down, where where money needs to uh, be moved. If you're over those and you're in the negative, it's a very aha moment like, oh, I'm spending more money than I bring in. I'm going to have more month at the end of my money. So I need to make a change here. That might be, you know, bringing in more income or it might be lowering expenses. In my particular case in the book, I lowered expenses. At that time, I cut cable. I I cut my own hair. uh, I cut, you know, everything. And I I stopped driving that vehicle, uh, started taking public transportation uh, because it was just more important for me to get out of debt. Um, As far as sticking to the budget, 
You know, it's it's not easy. That comes back to that fork in the road of knowing knowing yourself, knowing what type of personality that you have. And there's a strength in that. And if you're the type where, you know, I need to be rewarded from time to time, I would also build that into the budget. That could be a part of your wants. Maybe you're like, you know what? I don't want to give up going out for dinner for the next three years while I pay off this debt. Maybe you save 10, 20 or whatever your average dinner budget is towards that. So you can go out once a month, once a quarter. So it just doesn't feel like a punishment that you're on because ultimately you're paying yourself back by paying all this debt off. You talk about the envelope system as a way of keeping on the budget. How does that work? Um, old school system, still very effective. <laughs> it's a envelope system, just like it sounds, is once you get paid, you withdraw the amount of uh, budget that you have for that month for your various systems. So let's take that 50, 30, 20 budget. You have your needs budget. I imagine that's going to be a mortgage or rent for most people, uh, maybe a car loan, cell phone. And each envelope is basically tied to that. In that particular instance, those cash envelopes should not go above 50%. Uh, repeat that system on down through 30 and 20%. You have an envelope. Uh, some people also call it a zero-based budget where every dollar is tied to a purpose and promised to a purpose, even if that purpose is just to save or pay down your debt. Um, another way of looking at that is, you know, uh, it's really just a updated version of the envelope system. A lot of banks, including mine, allows you to do the envelope system online. So I have a business account, actually. Within that account, I have four checking and savings account, and each of them are labeled with the purpose for that account. So it's an electronic envelope system. Uh, I use Profit First for that. So I, I tie it to my income, operating expenses, taxes, and my favorite profit, because that's what I pay myself out of, at the, actually, on the seventh of every month, I electronically transfer to my envelopes. I see. Very good. So once you've been through this, your credit score has been down a lot. You've kind of come back. How do you repair and reestablish a good credit? One thing I, I tell people is the exercise of going through this is going to raise your credit because, as we talked about, 60% of your uh, credit is credit utilization and credit payment history. You know, these companies, you know, take a, a step up from there, if you will. Um, so uh, the airport or airplane view of that, they're looking, your credit score is how well you manage debt. You know, a lot of people use it for all these other purposes and, and self-worth. It is how well you manage debt. There's people who manage money great who have low credit scores because they don't use credit. So, you know, kind of keep that mentality in mind. But the exercise of paying off your debt will have risen your credit score, uh, depending where you are there. I'd be surprised if it's under 30 points. It could be as much as 100 points. Then from there, if you're still not satisfied with that, maybe you went from 600 to 700 and you still want to do better. Uh, now you've got your debt lowered. You can start to make strategic decisions about how to raise your credit scores. One that surprises people is you can open up a credit card. You can open up a, actually any line of credit because that's going to raise your credit utilization. And if you don't use that card, if it's for the specific purpose of raising your credit score. Now, some people are like, well, why would you gain the system like that? Maybe, you know, in the next year or two, you're getting married or you want to buy a home. So you do want to gain the system in your favor and have the highest credit score possible so that when you go out for that home, our big car loan, our big home loan, you get the best rate possible, the best offer possible. Uh, you talk about debt settlement and debt consolidation services. When are those a good and a bad idea to use? I don't think 
any of them are bad. I think they've got a bad reputation because there's um, you know nefarious actors out there. I think it's the uh, National Credit Council, um, who is a good public uh, nonprofit that works with uh, individuals who want to improve their credit. So. I would start with, you know, what are the nonprofit available entities in my area, in my city or town? And there's plenty available. And I believe that's one that I just listed. They can help me, number one, make that decision and determine the right exercise for me. So it's not that the activity is bad. It's that bad actors are helping with the activity or harming the activity. In the few minutes we have left, why don't you kind of uh, uh, define what difference it will make in people's lives to follow your debt plan? as opposed to the way a lot of people doing, kind of bubbling along and not really making much progress on their debt. I think the most important about my systems is it works. It's based on math. It is built by an auditor. And so it, it's not an argument of if it will work, it will work. The description or the debate is how long it'll take to work in your life, because that's going to be dependent on your personality, your, and I, I was very transparent about this in the beginning, how much income you made. I chased money for a long time because I wanted to be out of debt, and I was successful at doing so. Um, and also what I think I like about my system it is, is it builds in the human component, even as I talked about there. So it's very forgiving. It is uh, self-correcting. It is a system that I believe can apply, I won't say universally, but to a lot more individuals than some of the black and white systems I see out there. So you're saying that there are other systems out there that don't work and yours does. That's exactly what I'm saying. What systems don't work? Well, like I said, with some of those debt consolidation services, a lot of them just take your money. I, I literally had people call in and said, I paid this guy, or, or, or to be fair, a, a girl, $1,000 or $10,000 to help me get out of debt, and they disappeared. Um, you know, that's why I think it's important to work with those reputable actors who have your best interest in mind. Very good. Well, very good. Uh, my guest this hour has been Marcus Garrett. Uh, his book is called Debt Free or Die Trying. You can find out more at his website, themarcusgarrett.com, and see all the good advice he has on helping people get out of debt based on his own personal experience of having been uh, successful at it. So thanks so much for being a great guest on The Money Answer Show, uh, Marcus. Thank you for having me. And we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.